We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We are the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 50, Hornswoggled. My name is David Sville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome. How are you, David? I never get tired of that joke. Me neither. That's, That's awesome. That's why we make such a great pair. It's so funny. It's it's so easy yeah. working with you, Travis. Mm-hmm. Anyway, how are you this week, sir? I asked you that already. How are you really this week, aside from being handsome? I'm happy and excited to be a magic streamer at the moment. I'm. It's always exciting when a new set comes out, looking over the cards and actually being like, I want to play with this and thinking that I'm ahead because I recognize that this is main deckable. Like I'm, I'm looking at you, Cleansing Ray, and we're going to talk about that. But like, it, it's an exciting time to play magic when a new set is released. So I would say excited if we want to get down to to the truth. How are you really, David? I am looking forward to it. Uh, kind of in that lame duck period between sets, like I talked about before, mm-hmm. or like I've talked about before. And um, this this is going to be a good time for for magic, I think, for me, for us, for everyone, hopefully. Um, and, and kind of what's interesting in being a magic online player is we actually get the set a day before people in real life do. Why don't you tell us about what's going on there? So this is actually pretty exciting. Um, starting on the 11th, which is a Thursday, I believe it's a 10 a.m. Pacific. You can play in a 24 hour league on magic online, which is sealed rivals of Ixalan. And it lasts, like I said, for exactly 24 hours while that's happening, the Magic Online Twitch page will be hosting 12 streamers who will be streaming in two-hour increments. Now, they may be streaming longer, but they're going to get that host for the two-hour period where they'll be playing it. So if you want to tune in and watch 12 streamers over 24 hours stream this entire event, you can do that by going right to the Magic page. I'm super happy that I got to be included in this. I got the 5 a.m. Eastern time. So if you're up really early or you're listening from Europe, uh, stop by. Would love to see you while we're streaming that, but I'll be playing it more than just those two hours. Don't you worry. I'm going to stream every second of it. I possibly can. Uh, so it's, it's kind of like before you go to your pre-release, you can get on here and actually jam these cards on magic online. And the price structure is not bad. I, I don't have it right in front of me, but it was like 30 tickets to enter. Uh, there are four round events. You break even ish at three and the cards will be selling at a premium. So if you open anything that's actually good, you can probably get good tickets for it. So like I, I was happy to see, now that this isn't like pre-releases of 10 years ago value, levels of value, but for, for what we're used to these days, it's pretty dang good value for Magic Online. So I, I would encourage everybody to jump in here and play one or 10. And I'd, like I said, I'm, I'm just thrilled that I can play this set sealed early. I, I don't know what I'm going to stream that weekend though, because it's kind of like, here it is. You can play with it for 24 hours. Now it's Sunday. Have fun. But uh, in the well, meantime, get involved. To. Get involved. You're supposed to go to the paper pre-release. Why would I do that? I can play online. Be- because that's what they want you to do. You can't play this online. No, I think it's really cool what they're doing. Um, it uh, it gives people that are, are going to their pre-release an opportunity to get some experience with the cards. 
Um, and like you said, the price structure is not too bad. It's not very top heavy. Um, I think even if you just go 04, you get a pack. Yeah. Um, so, so they, they flattened out the price structure, made it more like a friendly pre-release from, um, from magic online past. I don't know if you if you remember those, mm-hmm. um, they were very, very flat price structures, but, um, no, this is good. Maybe you get lucky. You'll open a foil mythic and sell it for 30 tickets before, uh, before the flood of all of these cards kind of get released to the bot. So this is pretty cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And good on you for getting into the the rotation the 12 streamer rotation um there's some pretty big names streaming so it's uh it's pretty cool for you to be involved and uh, and get that host um from from the magic page i hope that they plug the heck out of it um i hope that they get a ton of viewers and i hope that that kind of love trickles down to to everyone that needs it um in in the kind of the the streaming community so good on you thanks man i'm i'm super excited like legitimately very excited about this now, we were supposed to record yesterday, which was actually going to be a show about the spoilers, um, and then we're going to do this show next week. However, you got yourself onto the First Strike podcast and uh, helped them reveal their preview card, and so we pushed this back to today, and lo and behold, we totally didn't think about this, didn't plan it at all, but we ended up getting the full spoilers released today. So that means we get to talk about the entire set I mean, it's Friday today, it probably gets released on Saturday, but we get to talk about it basically a week uh, before people will be opening their packs at their paper pre-release. So this is kind of new for us. Usually we're doing it on the Tuesday or the Wednesday before. Um, so so we're way out in, a, in, in front of this this time around. So hopefully we give you enough listening time to, uh, to, to maybe go through it once or twice here and then get your fill on all of the key cards and the key archetypes. You know how we like to do this. We're going to do it the same. We're going to go through most of the commons and uncommons that we think are important things you need to be aware of your combat tricks, your removal spells, skip over most of the rares and mythics. We might talk about one or two that look really cool or that might seem uh, worse than maybe they actually are. So uh, we'll just kind of do our thing like we do. But first, we're going to have to talk about the new mechanic. So there's which is this is weird. There's only one new mechanic in this set, and that new mechanic is Ascend. So, Travis, why don't you tell us what Ascend does? So Ascend essentially cares about, do you have 10 permanents? It doesn't care what they are. If at any point you have 10 permanents and either cast a card with Ascend or have a card in play with Ascend, you get the city's blessing. And all that does is make all of your cards that have Ascend trigger their better version. It's actually a mechanic that reminds me a little bit of Monstrous from Theros in that I play this card and I get what it says. And then later in monstrous example, I could dump some mana into it and I got, it got better. In this case, if I just have a bunch of permanents, it gets better. Once you have the city's blessing, we haven't seen anything currently that will remove it from you. I can't imagine that there is anything because this is the last set in the block. So it's kind of like when I cast my first ascend card and get ascend, all of the rest of them are triggered. Even if I no longer have 10 permanents, if I have a creature in play with Ascend, as soon as I play my 10th land or, you know, 10th permanent, whatever it is, it, it's not a trigger. It doesn't go on the stack. I just have the city's blessing now. And even if stuff dies later and I cast another card with Ascend, I will still get that bonus in the future. Yeah. And, and the key thing to remember is that on the creature, it's a static ability um, so that it, you don't have to. It, it's not an enter the battlefield effect. And uh, we've seen this. 
I've seen people talking about this in chat already, and it was uh, I was watching the lim- the sorry the loading ready run pre pre release, and that was a common question in chat was how come they still have the city or how come they got the city's blessing? You know, they didn't cast anything that had a sand, and they would point to their creature and say, you know, this has a sand; it's already in play. Um, whereas on the instance and sorceries, obviously that has to be when the spell is resolving, mm-hmm. it will do that check. Um, so you have to keep in mind that there is the difference between the two. That will be a definite gotcha. I think at, at your pre-release if you play in paper, but luckily magic online will just handle that for you. So there's also the potential if you cast a sorcery or an instant and have exactly 10 permanents in play and having ascend is important for you and your opponent has an instant speed removal spell, they could take you off of ascend there while it's on the stack. Whereas with the creature, they really can't, right? It's there. And if they haven't killed it by the time you go to make that land drop that would give you the city's blessing, there's really nothing they can do about it then. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and playing lands obviously doesn't use the stack, so they can't respond to that. But if you're playing another creature... Then they could. ...that would go onto the stack first, then they could. So there might be some some trickiness there that you can try to make sure you're guaranteed to get your ascend. Um, but for the most, the most part, it probably should be pretty straightforward, I would think. I think for limited, it's just this card does a thing. And if you have it later in the game, it does a better thing. Yeah. Boardstall.deck or boardstall.format um, becomes board, st- board stall plus maybe some more powerful cards. Yeah. Dot deck or dot format. So um, what do you think of the mechanic? It, I mean, to be honest, I, I think it plays fine. I think it will play fine once we get in there and get to play with it. It seems kind of lazy. We talked about this a little bit on First Strike last night, and Rob brought up the idea of what if each color had a different way that it got the city's blessing. With white, if you have 30 life, you get the city's blessing. With green, if you have 20 power in play, you get the city's blessing. With blue, if there's 10 cards left in your life, like they could have done that, and I think that would have been a lot more flavorful, or even make a way for each tribe to get the city's blessing. So like, I think it's going to play fine. Um, but I, I think they could have made it a little more flavorful or, or done something to make it stand out. Cause as it is, it's, it's kind of just, again, this card does a thing. And if it's late game, it does a better thing. That's cool. And I, I think I'll enjoy playing with it, but like design wise, I don't exactly know what that means. I, I guess what they were going for was like, we claimed enough land that now this place is ours, but that like, it's not just screaming flavor to me. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fine mechanic. I don't think it's lazy. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, devotion a little bit, um, except for the fact that you can't lose it. Um, it would have been interesting if you could lose the city's blessing or maybe only one player could have the city's blessing. Um, so then like maybe if Ascend was like an enter the battlefield effect instead of a static ability and you kind of steal it back and forth, right? Where you're, you're fighting for the city or something like that. Um, but I think it, it's, it'll, it'll be fine. I think as a playable or as a, a mechanic that we play in limited, um, you're right. Does it not necessarily flavorful, but, um, but it'll be interesting to see what it does to board stalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it might lead to some interesting early game decisions. So trying to control the number of permanents that you or your opponent has. So there's not a ton of cards with ascend, so if you know that you have a lot of ascend, maybe you won't block your two one into their two two early on in the in the in the match because you want to try to get to your ten permanents early. Um, you know you might have more explore creatures, for example. I guess you're always playing explore creatures, but there's certain things you can do to try to make sure you have more permanents. Play a token strategy, um, but you can also try to take your opponent off permanents as well. Um, you know you might be a little more aggressive about your blocks or your attacks uh, or using your removal spells, kind of in that 
turn four, turn five range when your opponent starts to get a, a decent board state, you might fire off a removal spell a little earlier um, in, instead of holding it for something better if you think that Ascend is important, important to your opponent. So I think there's some cool things that can go on here, but time will tell. I have to play with it, I think, to know for sure. Yeah, agree. Okay. So why don't we just jump right into the cards? What do you think? I can dig it. I can dig it. You you can dig it. Okay, so we're going to do what we normally do. We'll just go in Wooburg order. I'm just going to scroll down the page. Um, I've seen most of these cards through the spoiler season. I haven't looked at every single card in depth, so some of these may be a surprise to me, but we're just going to go through here and pick out some cool ones. Um, first things first is, as a whole, I think removal got better. Um, we were noting on the mic check here that it seemed like a lot of the removal got like one cheaper um, or in most colors and actually blue got a little bit of removal. It looked like added. So, um, you know, hopefully it's not just the format of bad removal and hill giants anymore. Maybe it'll be decent removal and cards that are slightly better than hill giants, but, um, eh, time will tell on that one. It's still hill giants, but the removal did get better. So the first card that I'm looking at here is baffling end. It's a one in a white for an uncommon enchantment. Uh, it's O ring when it enters the battlefield, exile target creature and opponent controls with converted mana cost three or less, which is an interesting kind of clause there. And then when it leaves the battlefield target opponent gets a three, three dinosaur token instead of their creature back. So this really depends on what creature you're removing for, for, uh, or that is three casting costs or less. There are some really good ones. And then there's obviously some not so good ones. Um, or you kind of have to bank on your opponent, not having enchantment removal to upgrade their two, one into a three, three or whatever you're removing. So I think this will be an interesting card. I don't know how good it will be. It seemed like maybe it's very situational. Maybe it's something you're quick to side out or it leaves in your board and you bring it in. Um, what do what do you think about this main deck versus sideboard? I mean, if, if I end up with this, I'm probably main decking it. I don't think I'm going to go super nuts about it. Uh, because it, it's kind of a two drop that can trade with a three drop, but it can't attack or block if there's nothing going on there. So like if I open this and we'll, we'll get to the, the pacifism variant that's in the set, I'd clearly rather have the pacifism variant. Like I, I wasn't, I, I don't think I was even going to mention this one when I was going through key cards to pay attention to, cause I, I just don't think it's that great. It, it's fine. It's playable. I'll put it in every white deck that I have, but that, that doesn't make it great. That just makes it kind of, okay, this can kill little stuff. Hmm. I mean, it kills tokens. There are there are some bigger tokens that are floating around. Sure. Um, there are some good three mana rares and mythics that this can take care of. The, um, the main thing that makes me interested in it is Ixalan uh, itself came down to I'll play an early creature, put an enchantment or aura on it, you know, basically put pants on it and then try to kill you with it. And this does hose that strategy. Um, in addition, like there's a, a, an uncommon and a common removal spell in nearly every color that just wrecks that strategy. So I kind of question if that's what we're going to be doing anymore. Like, I, I'm not sure that one drop one with the wind is, is still our thing. I, I never really thought it was our thing and that's not how I played when I played it. Um, and over a hundred drafts, I still ended up with like 66% win percentage ish. So like I, I was never really doing that, but I know a lot of people were, and this will certainly stop that cold. And like, mm -hmm. how many times did people blow up your O-ring, right? Like, not that often. Yeah. Not that often. Not that often. So maybe the downside isn't really a big deal, um, although it does kind of give you a reason to main jack um, conditional or not conditional modal enchantment removals, which we've seen in uh, Crushing Canopy. And there's another one that you mentioned earlier, Cleansing Ray coming up here. Um, if 
if you're if if if, if this goes in every single white deck, um, then I think those naturalized type effects go up in value. Mm-hmm. Agree. Okay. So you want to talk about cleansing ray then? I absolutely want to talk about cleansing ray. It reminds me of urgent exorcism, and I've compared this format to the original Innistrad a lot. And I think that comparison still holds the biggest difference being there weren't really the build around uncommons, but think about an Innistrad draft where you didn't open burning vengeance or spider spawning. And you ended up with gameplay states that were very similar to Ixalan where you play an early creature and put um, spectral flight on it. For example, like that was a valid strategy there. Anyway, cleansing ray is one in a white for a sorcery, not instant choose one, destroy target vampire, destroy target enchantment. So we know that there is enchantment based removal in white and blue. We know that there are vampires in white and black, and we know that there are auras in red that some people are playing, right? So put that together. The only color this isn't great against is green, and there's still some green enchantments that you're interested in. So I I think this is, while not an amazing power card that I'm going to first pick or anything like that, but if I end up with one of these in my pile, I think I'm more likely to main deck this and then take it out rather than sideboard it and bring it in because it's good again. I think it's actively good against white, blue, and black. I think it's probably going to have a target against red. So when we take that, it's only bad against black. My opponent's not playing a mono red deck, right? Mm -hmm. Excuse me. It's only bad against uh, green. They're not playing a mono green deck. So they're going to have targets for this. Some of which I'm actually very interested in killing. So I, I think I'm on main deck this card. And, and side it out rather than, than, you know, get one and put it in your sideboard. I think the only deck it's actively bad against will be green-red. Yeah, and like I said, there's still a few red enchantments that I think people will be playing, some of which are, are not great to remove, but you're still sort of interested in it. There's a rare green enchantment that looks playable. Um, remember, red-blue, excuse me, green-blue is merfolk, so they're still going to be doing one with the wind shenanigans, and you can get mm-hmm. rid of that. Yeah. So if if it's only bad against the one deck, I mean white like has a lot of passivism, passivism style effects and vampire style effects and vampires, like it it just hoses two of the five colors straight up, and it it comes close to hosing blue if blue's only good removal spell is is you know a claustrophobia for example. So it'll be interesting. I think I think it'll depend. I think main decking it early in the format and then seeing how it plays out, I think will be what will happen for, for most people. Agree. Agree. Okay. Um, next up we've got divine verdict, um, which, which I think is important to keep in mind is that we used to have bright reprisal, which is five mana for uh, destroy target attacking creature. Was it attacking creature only? It might've been attacking or blocking. I don't remember. I'll look it up. Uh, while I don't you remember read this one. Sure, but Divine Verdict is four mana for destroy target attacking or blocking creature. You lose the draw card condition. Um, but whether this is good or bad doesn't matter. I think you just need to be aware of it. People will be playing copies of this against you at your pre-release. They'll be playing against or copies of this against you online. Um, you know, four mana open on turn four, you know, and, and your opponent has a bunch of cards in hand. This could very well be the card that they are representing or that they actually have just be aware of it um i know we didn't care too much about the five mana version and it's kind of like yeah whatever like are you really going to hold five mana up to cast that i think four mana is a lot easier to cast um and we've seen this before in in formats past and it's been okay it's been sometimes you have to play it sometimes you just need to have removal and the fact that it removes a blocker is 
not nearly as bad as only removing attackers. I agree. It it kind of sucks if you're trying to force through damage that they get the block in and prevent the damage and then you kill the thing. But sometimes you just do what you have to. I, I don't think this is a great card and there is better removal at common in white, which we'd certainly prefer. But like if you're playing one of these, it's, it's not embarrassing. But I, I think the main thing is what Dave pointed out is just be aware that it's there. If you've got a really awesome creature and they pass with a ton of cards in hand and four lands in play, maybe you just attack with all the crappy ones. And, and give them that option. Do you, do you really want to sit here and do nothing and stare down my 5-5 five five while my grizzly bears continue attacking you? Like, you'd love for them to just snap this off on, on your one of your worst creatures and get to keep the better one. So just be aware that it's out there. Mm-hmm. All right. What you got that's next? Next one for me that I think is probably worth mentioning is the Exaltant Sky Marcher. Um, we saw basically exactly this card in Innistrad. It was Chapel Geist, but it's one white, white for a two, three flying vampire soldier. Like the creature types relevant. It's a little harder to cast. This goes in like a 10 planes style deck. If you're wanting to hit it consistently on turn three, but it, it looks like there's decent evasion in the format. The creature type is completely relevant and this is a solid body. It again, we've got a, a format that's a little bit full of hill giants, but there's plenty of two twos running around also. Basically, everybody's two drops. So you can play this on your turn three. You know, they can't attack with their two drop and then start getting in and you can play your next creature. Um, so I, I think this is actively a pretty good common. Yeah, two three is a surprisingly relevant body in the air, I think, in this format or will be. Mm-hmm. Um, there seems to be a lot of two, either two power or two toughness flyers so this seems like it could trade with a lot of things which i think is good you know there's a there's a three two flyer hex proof there's a three one flyer in black there's a few things like that that this can either attack through um or or force a trade so um yeah it'd be interesting it's way better than the one three for two from the last one if you have a thing like the uh, anointed deacon or things like that I, I, you know, I think the one three might even be better if you have an anointed deacon because it just comes down a turn earlier and like you don't care what the power and toughness are. Like, I think this is our replacement card for that one, but mm-hmm. I, I think this is just a good enough card on its own that you're pretty happy to play it. Well, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, I think I'd rather these over the one threes, even if I had an anointed deacon, because it it can block relevant things and actually try to kill things. Whereas the one three, usually you just bounce it off a two, two and nothing happened and your opponent still hit you for two. Right. Yeah. Whereas um, this would actively like, like hold they, both of them back. Exactly. So, I mean, maybe a good mix of these, maybe you want both who knows, but um, I think this would be an interesting card. I think that maybe the format of flying is, is back. Maybe we got, we got a, got a black, white skies deck going here. Yeah. There's a blue, white one too. I think <laughs> there's always a blue, white one. Yeah. That's not new. Um, Next one I want to talk about, I'm going to skip over the Famish Paladin unless you want to talk about it, but, um, nah, okay. The, uh, the forerunners. So there's a, a almost cycle of cards that are the forerunners and these all, all share, uh, similar attributes. They have, um, a tutor effect when they enter the battlefield. So you're paying a premium for the card. You get to search for a card of that tribe. So the white one is searching for vampires, for example, And then you get some kind of benefit whenever a vampire or pirate or whatever enters the battlefield under your control. So the white one is the forerunner of the Legion. Two and a white for a 2-2 vampire knight. When it enters the battlefield, you get to look for a a vampire, reveal it, shuffle it, and put this on top. So uh, a demonic tutor style effect. It's vampiric tutor style. Sorry, vampiric tutor. Does Demonic Tutor get your hands? See, I should play cube. I would know these things. Yeah, so these don't draw you a card, but they they let you pick what you're drawing next turn. 
Exactly. And then whenever another vampire enters the battlefield under your control, target creature gets plus one, plus one till end of turn. Not target vampire, just target creature gets plus one, plus one. Um, so this is literally vampiric tutor. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. I, I can't take credit for that joke, but it is. Um, so, so these are interesting. These are, um, there, there's, I think there's a few things going on here. Obviously it's another copy of a really good vampire card or Murpho card or whatever tribe you're playing, uh, which is good. So if you've got a, a bomb, this is a, this is a way to fetch it. For example, um, it guarantees your next draw. If, if you need a creature, for example, um, the downside is though, is I, th- I think sometimes if sometimes you don't want to necessarily play this on curve. So for example, if you go, you know, land, land, land this guy and you need to hit your fourth land, you might not want to do this search effect. So I think you have to be careful of how you construct your deck around this, making sure that this isn't necessarily the three drop that you're always playing on turn three. You, I think you want to be able to have the option of, you know, playing something else and saving this for turn four, turn five or something like that when you've kind of hit all of your land drops and you don't need to to worry about having a land on top of your deck. Yeah, and th- that is a downside. Although in that case, like you could always play it and not search, which I realize mm-hmm. is going to feel embarrassing, but you don't have to go get the land if they're beating you to death with a 4-2 and you just need to block the darn thing and you really need your land drop. Don't be too proud. You could also fetch up another two or three drop vampire, which is not as sexy, but it still gets the job done and make sure that you have something for next turn. And I think the upside of being able to like, there's plenty of good four drops in all of these tribes. Like I'm thinking of Paladin of the Bloodstain, for example, but there's, there's another decent four drop vampire here. This kind of guarantees if you have this in a two drop that you can curve two, three, four and a two, three, four curve in limited is usually quite hard to beat. Uh, because remember, once you play the four drop, this is effectively attacking as a three, three in this, this scenario. And and all of the forerunners I think are quite good. Um, again, they get better, the more vampires you have, and they get better, the better vampires you have. Uh, you can also get multiples. So you could use this one to find your second one and then find another vampire and then play it and, you know, pump some two things up by plus one plus one, for example. So I think there's a lot going on here, and I think all of the forerunners are, are actively good cards that you would want as long as you're in the proper tribe. Yeah, it's um. There's a lot of cards that seem to report, re- sorry, reward you for having a deeper tribal synergy, just like we had in Ixalan here. So, like when I said that they double down on tribal synergy, um, you know, I kind of meant it. So this is this is like a reward for those people that have found they've they've staked their claim on vampires, for example. Um, you know, you get this pack, it's passed to you in pack two because the people next to you aren't vampires and you're kind of like, ching, we did it. Um, so I think, I think it's pretty cool. The forerunners will be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Agree. Okay. What's next for you? Next for me is Legion Conquistador. I was, Hey, he's back. I was actually kind of pleased to see this. So we all know what Legion Conquistador does. He was there in Ixalan and we all talked about how this card was going to get worse when we moved to the next set. And instead it got a little better because this is a small set and you'll be able to get even more copies. So I think five was the most that I got. I'm gunning for six now. I, I was just really tickled to see this reprinted because it would be a dead common slot in the last pack if they hadn't done this. 
And since they did, it means that like that strategy, which was actually kind of fun and something I enjoyed doing, I can still do. So it's just, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to see a new set with a friendly face. Well, that yeah, face is actually that friendly, but you know what I mean? He's got friends. Yeah. All right. Um, so next luminous bonds, this is the pacifism of the set. It's two and a white for an enchantment with the pacifism effect. So it's one extra for your pacifism, but I mean, that's the world that we live in sometimes. Yeah, this is just better than Pious Interdiction, which we I was first picking and very happy with. Um, mm-hmm. It's just like you said, this is just one mana cheaper than Pious Interdiction. The the extra mana was not worth the two life that you gained on it. So I'd take this over that any time, and I'd certainly take it over that uncommon variant, O-ring variant that we saw, right? Like this solves the pants problem too for one more mana, but it also solves your colossal dread maul problem or whatever else it is that you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're not wrong on that one. Next up, we should be aware there is a moment of triumph. This is white for an instant. Target creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. You gain two life. This is the white combat trick. It's a, it's a good one. We're used to a white combat trick for white that gave plus two, plus two. So you're kind of playing around the same card you were before. I expect you'll see it in the same frequency, and it's going to do a lot of what that did. But I always like to point out what the combat tricks are so people can kind of be aware of them. Mm-hmm. Um. um card i wanted to actually quickly look at because i think it we don't we know it's good and i think everybody that looks at it will know it's good is the martyr of dusk yeah which is um kind of a a sign post just maybe suggesting that that there could be more aggressive decks not to say that the average deck will be more aggressive but that there could be more aggressive decks um in in this format where you have a two one for two that when it dies gives you another creature um, I guess this is less aggressive and more on the like aggressively blocking side of things, but it's just a value creature in vampires where you get, you know, three power and two toughness spread over two bodies essentially for two mana. Um, and it, it kind of lends itself to that vampire theme, the token theme, mm-hmm. which I think is a really cool card. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot of these like very cheap, very good we're not very good, but very good for their slot creatures. Mm-hmm. And I think this kind of qualifies as one of them. So um, this is going to be very annoying. Uh, doomed vampire. <laughs> sort of. We, we had a long sort discussion of. about whether or not this was better than Bishop Soldier on the stream. And I think eventually came down that it wasn't, but it was darn close. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think this is your premium two drop for a vampire deck. It's worth noting there's a good bit of X1 hate uh, when we get to red. Um, so like we're, we're going to see some of that. It's still there, but like this guy kind of doesn't care about X one hate cause it just comes back a little bit smaller. Uh, but yeah, this is quite a good two drop if, if you're in the market for two drop vampires. Yeah. Um, what's next? Raptor companion is back. We're going to skip him, but maybe we can talk about reprint. So we saw the Legion conquistador. We've got Raptor companion. Here's, here's a, a reprint. Um, what do you think about the reprints? This is kind of the first time we've really seen this. I guess we saw it in cons block with the summit prowler, um, but there was a set between them. Mm. But now we're seeing three packs of Raptor companion again. It's in the common slot. Um, what, what's your take on that? Well, I, a couple things. It's the last time that we're going to see it. So like it kind of doesn't matter whether you like it or not. You don't have to worry about it anymore. It doesn't matter to me whether there was a, a like they decided they wanted a, a two mana three one in the set. And rather than being like, well, let's make up a new type. They're just like, we'll just put the same one we had in there. That seems fine to me. And this, I actually think is a little bit flavorful because most of the other two block sets we've had have been like, 
hey, we're on Shadows of Innistrad. There's something spooky. And then boom, it was Imrakul. The whole world's messed up. Or we're on Amon Ket. There's all these mummies. And then boom, Nicol Bolas screwed up the world. This set didn't really have that. There's a story that's going, but there wasn't really that cataclysm to go along with it. And I kind of dug that there's a few reprints here and there to show us that like, hey, this world didn't actually change that much. There's something happening here, but we're, we're sort of just visiting here and watching the story. We're not watching the world explode. And given that a lot of magic sets are like that, you know, here's this beautiful world and here's the terrible thing that happens to it. I, I, I kind of dig that. So it doesn't bother me that Raptor's companion's back. He's kind of cute. Yeah. Is he on a leash? He totally is on a leash. I never noticed that before. Yeah, he's on a leash. I guess you have to have your raptors spayed or neutered in this format. <laughs> Thank you, Bob Barker. <laughs> All right. Um, Sky Marcher Aspirant. Speaking of aggressive cards, here's a, a one or sorry, a single white vampire soldier. Uh, that's a two one with ascend. And as long as it has uh, or as long as you have the city's blessing. So once you've ascended, it has flying. Um, this is a neat card, probably more of a constructed plant than a limited plant. But again, if, if that aggressive deck is here and this is a vampire, um, you know, this, this could be part of a one, two, three curve in vampires, which, which could be quite explosive depending on, uh, what you have to kind of back it up. Dude, Christmas was like three weeks ago. I'm kind of done with magical Christmas land. This is just worse than martyr of dusk and limited as far as I'm concerned. Like I get it. If it's in your opener, you can play it on turn one and it's cool. But the difference between one and two drops is usually not gigantic in most limited formats. We've seen some difference with that here because there's so many pants to put on them. And oddly enough, the next card I want to mention is pants. But I'm I'm not amazed at this because by the time it's a two one flyer, I don't think a two one flyer matters that much. Although I I do like that this is good on turn one and at least does something on turn 10. So that 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 probably doesn't make it as bad as I'm thinking that it is. I, I guess I just had a lot of people kind of go nuts over this. They're like, it's a 2-1 flyer for one mana. And I'm like, no, that's not what it is at all. That's It's a Savannah Lions that eventually will gain flying. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's great outside of a super aggressive deck. I'm just saying that I think that, like, you look at all this, a lot of these cards so far, or a lot of a couple of cards we talked about, and we'll see more. Yeah, it, right. it seems like there are more aggressive cards in the one drop and two drop spot than we saw in the last one. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Okay. All right. I like it when you say that I'm not wrong. Can you say that again? You're not wrong this one singular time. Yes. All right. You said you had pants. Yes. Squire's devotion pants. Uh, this is not super dissimilar from Mark of the Vampire. Mark of the Vampire in its original set was close to unplayable. And in Ixalan, I first picked it. Uh, not too proud. Uh, so Squire's devotion is two and a white for an aura. Enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one and lifelink. When it enters the battlefield, you get a one, one white vampire creature token with lifelink. I'm going to propose the nickname for this one. So we had Mark of the Vampire. Mm -hmm. This is Mark, comma, the Vampire. That's what I called Mark of the Vampire. No, because this one gives you a 1-1 lifelink token. Oh, and his name's Mark. He is Mark. Okay, okay. Okay. And he's a vampire, so hence you get the lifelink. And he's he's like your buddy. He like helps you move. So he's like Mark. The Vampire. The Vampire. Yeah. That helps you move. I don't know that this is quite as good as Mark of the Vampire because the plus two plus two was kind of a big deal. But the fact that we've got decent life linking pants that we can put on a flyer 
Uh, we can put on a menace creature and we'll see some of those in, in black. And, in, and I think there's one in red. Yeah. There's a cheap one in red. Like, I think that makes this a card. Yeah. It's, I think it's in a different space than Mark of the Vampire because it's the three mana. So you, so you can put it as part of an aggressive deck, right? You can put it on your two mana flyer or, or your menace creature. Um, and, and force your opponent's hand a little earlier than you could with Mark of the Vampire. So I think like with Mark of the Vampire, you're kind of waiting, you know, biding your time a little bit until your opponent's out of resources, and then you feel a little bit better casting it. This one, I think you'll probably tend to cast it a little more aggressively because it's only plus one, plus one, but also it gives you the extra small body. So you're not like, you know, if, if you get one hit in with it and then your opponent bolts it or whatever... Um, you still end up with a one, one at the end of the day, which is not so like, it's not the worst. Whereas with Mark of the Vampire, you know, if you got one hit with it, lost your creature, that's all you got out of it. And you paid an extra mana for it. So I think it's, I think this one tilts more toward the aggressive side of things and the earlier casting. Um, but like, you know, you could, you could, this is like one with the wind and white, I think, right. You put it on your two drop flyer and then make it plus one, plus one and lifelink. And even if your opponent doesn't feel compelled to deal with it because that's ah, just plus one plus one, like the lifelink puts the game out of reach very quickly. Um, and you know, they, they really can't do anything about it unless they remove the creature. So I think it's, I think it's neat. You force your opponent to have the answer, I, um, maybe a little earlier. I, I, I kind of strongly disagree with you there. And I think that you would do better with this card if you pretended it cost five mana. Sure. And I don't th- I, like, I'm not going to always cast it on three. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying that 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 I think you're going to cast this on you're going to cast this earlier in the game more frequently than you would Mark of the Vampire. I, I'm and not. That's why I think it's in a different spot. I, I, th- I think you will. I, I don't think I will. Like, again, I think it was something like seven times out of ten when my opponent cast one with the win on a one drop. I was like, I got you. You were losing this game. There's no way you're going to win because I just untap and kill it. Like and that felt so good. But like when I cast Mark of the Vampire, and that's one of the reasons I liked it, I couldn't screw up and play it early. Like I had to cast it after they'd done everything else. So I, I played Mark the Vampire and like they're out of removal. Now they can't deal with my, you know, giant, ridiculous, life-linking vampire dude. Um, so like, yes, we have just come from a format where there were people arguing you should be playing one drop into enchantment and cross your fingers and see if you win. Like I was always drafting to make sure that that didn't beat me. So I, I, I imagine that when you're playing against people that are, are prepared for that, you're going to get blown out if you go two drop this. But if you go two drop, three drop, four drop, then cast this on your four drop and play another two drop or have a combat trick, you're probably not losing that game. All right. I, I still like that it. Is I, I like it quite a bit. Oh, I, th- I think it's a good card. I think it's a great card. I think that's it for white. Yeah, that, that was my list of white. Okay. Blue. Where do you want to start in blue? I liked Crashing Tide as a decent place to start. Um, I think mm-hmm. this is an interesting card. It's two and a blue for a sorcery. Return target creature to its owner's hand. Draw a card. It has flash as long as you control a merfolk. Right? So any deck can play this, and you're pretty happy. Like The, the challenge with bounce spells is you have to use it at the right time to get your card out of it. Right? Like Do it in response to a combat trick. But once they staple draw a card on it, it's actually not that big a deal, right? You can just fire it off, get a blocker out of the way and get in. Giving it flash if you have a merfolk is kind of neat because the pirate decks are a little less interested in it. But I think they're still going to want it to clear out a blocker. 
And then all of the things that we've talked about with uh, various pants strategies, it kind of wrecks those. So like this is our uh, our our new version of the bounce spells that we had in the last set. And it's very similar to it. Uh, I, I might even argue better. I think bouncing a dude at sorcery speed and drawing a card is probably better than doing it at instant speed and getting a treasure. So I, I'm I'm pretty happy with, with Crashing Tide. It's definitely better than Depth of Desire. It's not better than Run Aground unless you're casting it at instant speed. Yeah. I think it's better than Run Aground if you're if you have Merfolk. Yeah. So which is interesting because it, it fills I like these cards that are like stronger if and then weaker if, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 you're still playing it in both. I think that that's a really cool design. So I like what they did with this one. Yeah. I look forward too. to casting this one a lot. Um, speaking of pants, we got more pants, curious obsession. The only reason I wanted to mention this is because curiosity was a neat card back in the day. And that's basically what this is. Um, blue for an enchantment or a enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one and has whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, you may draw a card. Um, and then you have to sacrifice this if you didn't attack with a creature, any creature, not necessarily, um, this creature. So, it's I don't know how much I will play it it depends on how pants friendly this format is but I think it is neat to see you know a card that will replace itself easily like you cast it when your opponent's shields are down you get a card back out of it and then if your opponent can't deal with it you can get you know more and more value as the game goes on Um, so as long as it's replacing itself for one mana I think you could do a lot worse the rule with curiosity was that if you couldn't get one hit in it was garbage Quite often you couldn't. There's a decent amount of unblockable stuff here in flyers here. It would surprise me if I ever cast this spell. And it's again, one of those things that I'm looking out for, like they've made auras better back in the old days. They've had kind of, you know, bad auras when I started playing and the removal was so good that it was just, just stupid to put auras in your deck. And they finally pushed it to the point where like people are playing auras and they're getting things done. I still don't particularly like this. Uh, but you're right. If you can connect with it once, you have replaced the card. And then if your opponent doesn't deal with it, you're going to be drawing more cards. So it, it's part of a potential value engine if you can put it on something that's unblockable. And there are unblockable cards in, in the format. I just I don't particularly like this style of effect. I'm mm-hmm. a grumpy old I think, man. I think you only play it if you have flyers and unblockable. I don't think you're putting it in any other deck. No, no, certainly not. Yeah. Okay. And like, if you've got, like, the reason I always had some sort of problem with a card like this is if I have a profitable attack, do I really need to be drawing cards? Like, yes, I'm, it doesn't hurt, but like, wouldn't I rather have another thing that could attack or maybe block so that my opponent can't hit me back? So like, I'd almost rather have a one four in my deck where I've got unblockable dudes. Cause that kind of, you know, blanks, you know, two of their cards, perhaps their two, one can't attack and their three threes kind of staring at it too. I think if you can engineer, like if you could guarantee that this would always draw you two cards, I think you would play it all of the time, right? Yeah, that um, would be kind of so, like Grandpa's Recall, I guess. I would play one mana draw two. Right, yeah, exactly. But no, like like spread over two turns, you know what I mean? So like, I think if you think that you can get two cards out of it every time you play it, you should probably put it in your deck. And then if not, then it's really, you know... Is it is it essentially playing a 39 card deck? Not really. But but like if 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 you can cycle with it all of the time, then, you know, 
maybe you're digging yourself to your better cards. I don't really know. Is it like opt? Is it like the opt of the format? Am I just trying to make it like opt? It's worse. A card that I liked and nobody else did. I think if, if you think you can play it and reliably draw two cards off of it, you need to take a, lo- a long, hard look in the mirror and be honest with yourself because you're probably wrong. If you think you can draw one card with it, then it's it's probably fine going in there. But it, it is one of those things that makes a creature that your opponent didn't necessarily have to care about. Like, say I've got the 1-1 one, one unblockable dude. They're like, whatever, I'll take one a turn. Now, once I play this on it, they're like, ah, fine, I have to care about this. I'll kill it. And as long as you got your one card out of it, you're probably not too upset with that transaction. Yeah, I suppose, like, I mean, if it does eat a removal spell that was destined for something better, you know, that doesn't always happen in a game, but that is that is not intangible. Like, that is something that is a tangible benefit here, too. As long as you do um, the card. As long as you draw the card, right? So that's why I'm saying you cast it when the shield's down. It's like your Mark of the Vampire, right? Yeah. Cast it when your opponent's out of resources or their shields are down or something like that. But at, just just be aware that it exists. Like, there are a lot of auras in this in this format now. Um, so your bounce, your removal spells, things like that are going to go up in value, obviously. Mm-hmm. And also your conditional enchantment removals. Yeah, agree. Okay. Next up for me is Deadeye Rig Hauler. This looks pretty awesome to me. Three and a blue for a three, two raid. When it enters the battlefield, return target creature to its owner's hand. Yeah. Um, woman of war. It's like a man of war, but, but <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that woman of war. <laughs> She's hanging somebody. That's for sure. That's, um, yep. I don't, I don't want to be in her bad books. No, this is a cool card. We like man of war. Um, and the raid trigger in a blue deck should be easy to get. I mean, either your pirates or your flyers and you're attacking, um, and then you're bouncing something. Yeah. There's essentially a common two, one flyer that, that we'll get to and mention. So it doesn't seem like you're going to have, it seems like it may even be easier to trigger raid now than it was before. And like, that means that I had a profitable attack and now I'm playing this while I'm adding to my board and kind of tempoing you a little bit. That seems fantastic to me. And again, as with all bounce, it'll just straight up kill tokens. It'll mess up your opponent's, you know, curious obsessions or whatever it is that they're doing over there. So I, I, I really like that we've got a mana war variant here. Yeah, I like that it's three power, right? Because even yeah. if you just have to play it for four mana with no raid trigger, you can still trade up or trade across the table for a lot of things that are at, at four or five mana potentially. So I think that's really good. Yeah, for sure. Throw it in a double block. Um, next up for me is the two one flyer, the kite sail corsair. Mm-hmm. There, there are those aggressive cards. Like we've, there's more aggressive two drops. Um, and this, this is a, a two mana one and a blue for a two one human pirate, and it has flying as long as it's attacking. So it's basically two one flyer. Um, I think this is a neat card. Common like blue is going to be aggressive. Like everything's going to have these kind of potentially aggressive cards i think it's neat i do too i do too i, I think it's an upgraded welkin turn because that like welkin turn was kind of a problem sometimes if your opponent was attacking you with three twos and with this you're just like whatever i'll block it like it's fine but the fact that it can get in as soon as you want to start getting in i think makes it better one good turn deserves another why why um what's next for you then just a note that negate exists in this format. So be aware of that. I usually tend to play that, uh, in sealed, uh, and, and main deck it a little more often. Like it's again, a format with some vehicles, a format with auras, a format with good removal, and then maybe take it out. If my opponent doesn't have much, it usually goes in the sideboard and draft, but it's here. Sailor of memes got a reprint. Uh, so we had played with this guy before. Um, it it's back. It does the same thing. So just be aware that that's there. I think sea legs is actually worth a bit of a chat. 
Um, yeah, this is a neat card, actually. I think so, too. It's it's one mana for an enchantment aura in blue, flash. Enchanted creature gets plus zero, plus two, as long as it's a pirate. Otherwise, it gets negative two, negative zero. So, like, let's say that my opponent has put curiosity on a one-one unblockable. Cool. It doesn't do anything now. I can kind of use it as a combat trick on my pirates and sort of upgrade them. Like, I can also use it on their dudes to kind of shrink their power. So, like, there's a lot of... A lot of flexibility there for just one mana. So I think that probably deserves a slot in my blue decks if I'm pirates. And then I probably take it out if my opponent is also on pirates. Well, even if you're up against pirates, right, you can put it on your own pirate and and trade. Like if if they attack a 2-2 and you're a 2-2, you can flash this in and you eat their 2-2 and now you have a 2-4 blocker. Yeah, that's a fair point. Like, you should be able to engineer your opponent losing a creature out of this any way you slice it, I think. Right. Yeah. And then if you, you still guys are, have a dude are, that's a little bigger. Exactly. You want, I think you want to try to put it on your own creature if possible. But if you have to eat your opponent's creature with this and keep your guy around, you know, if, if you just happen to not have a pirate on the table, for example, um, you know, you, you could do worse than one mana, you know, win a combat, right? It's basically a combat trick. Yeah, I, I thought of it similarly to Dive Down, but it's got a little more mm-hmm. flexibility. And like, I love to Dive Down, like in any way to one mana affect combat, I think I'm pretty happy about. And I think this does that if you're in Pirates. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, but I, th- I think it, you could potentially play it even if you were not a lot of Pirates. Um, you're going to have some Pirates just randomly, but I I, I think it'll find a slot in, in in more blue decks than just that because of the other kind of minus two, minus zero. But fair enough we shall see we shall see um do we didn't see this in white but the silver gill adept is a card i wanted to mention because of it's a it's another kind of mini cycle that we've got here so it's one and a blue for a uh merfolk wizard which is a two one and it says as an additional cost to cast silver gill adept reveal a merfolk card from your hand or pay three colorless so you can pay it for one and a blue reveal a merfolk or you can pay it for uh, pay four in a blue and re- and and not reveal a merfolk to get this card. Well, why would you want to pay five mana for a two one? Well, when it enters the battlefield, draw a card. This is a card that you're probably not playing outside of merfolk at all because mm-hmm. it's so damned expensive for it. Um, however, in merfolk and a lot of merfolk, this is a very good card. Having a two one two drop that draws you a card, sign me up. It it's a good card. It's not a very good card. This is not in the bomb level. This is actually a reprint and I've played with it before and it it's it's pretty good. Like I I wouldn't get overly excited. It's a card that a lot of people know the name of because it gets played in modern, but not every card that's amazing in standard or modern or whatever format it is that it's getting played is a bomb in draft. So don't don't be fooled by the fact that you've heard of this card before. Uh, it's certainly valuable, but it's still coming on a piker body. Like it's good. It's good. If I'm Merfolk and I get one of these, you know, fifth pick, yeah, let's go in. But I'm not opening a pack and being like, Silver Gear Adept, we're going Merfolk, boys. No, but this is a payoff in pack two when your neighbors aren't Merfolk and are passing these cards to you because nobody else wants this card. Absolutely. Right? And you're gonna want two one two two power two drops in your deck anyway to block vampires and and pirates and and stuff like that on turn three anyway so you might as well draw a card out of it yeah agree agree okay Uh, i think it's worth mentioning for a minute uh secrets of the golden city like i had a lot of people say oh it's Mm. a divination reprint and it's 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 definitely not it's one blue blue for a sorcery 
draw two cards. If you have the city's blessing, draw three cards instead. So a, a big part of what made Divination playable was a relatively slow format, which I, I'm not entirely convinced this is going to be, and that I could just about always cast it on turn three and make sure that I hit my next land drop. So Divination was also fine as a top deck later because it got you two cards deeper. Now, this is better in that later situation, right? It's late game. We're both top decking. I draw this. I get three cards deeper. That's obviously better. But I think adding the extra blue in the casting cost makes this actively worse than Divination. Because if I'm playing, like, I would put Divination in a deck that was, you know, 9-8 with Islands being the 8. Like, I could still put this in that deck, but it's not doing the same thing anymore. So just be aware that when you have these, like, that double blue actively matters. You're not always guaranteed to have double blue. Like, even a 10-7 deck doesn't always have, you know, double Islands on turn 3. So just be aware that that's a real cost. Yeah, I think this is less of a turn three and more of a turn four, turn five style play on average. Um, So evaluate your deck in the format if you want that instead of your turn three divination. Yeah, agree. And remember, if you have one of these in your deck, just play out all your lands. You're not bluffing anybody. They think you're holding land anyway, and you don't want to play this and then draw a sweet four drop and be like, why didn't I play this land? I can't I can't play my land and, and the four drop now. Yeah. And drawing three cards is so much better than drawing two late game yeah your opponent's top decking with you right yeah agree this this is super better there but like i I don't think it's just divination no um there's some other man there's some cool cards here there's like i don't know like maybe six more blue cards i want to talk about but i I don't i think i'd like to get to the next color here um spirewinder is kind of neat three and a blue for a two three flyer with ascend and it gets plus one plus one if you have the city's blessing so a three, four flyer late game for four mana. seems pretty decent to me. The it, it, it's at that kind of level of power and toughness. It starts to beat a lot of the other flyers that we're seeing, right? There's not a lot of four power four toughness kind of style flyers. Yeah. So, um, I think if you have the city's blessing, this card kind of outclasses everything else in the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's no air elemental anymore, except for the last packet uncommon. Uh, right. worth mentioning siren reaver is a snapping drake uh four mana three two flyer and if you have raid it you get it at a discounted rate so it's it's kind of again illustrating that blue wants to snowball right like you play the two one flying pirate attack with it turn three play a three two flyer that's just way under costed that's so good and we've played four mana three twos that have we've been okay with anyway in the past so oh, that's kind yeah. of a that's like a modal card like play an okay card or play a pretty good card. I think it's play a pretty good card or play a pretty good card to turn early. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, and then we've got blue removal. Yeah. Water not. Why not? Uh, one blue, blue for claustrophobia. So when it enters the battlefield is an enchantment tap target creature. And that creature doesn't untap during its controllers untap step. We've seen this before. It's good. It's playable. Um, it's blues. It's the blue doom blade. It's the blue removal spell in this format. Yep, it does cost double blue. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, on to black. What do you like from black? So there's a lot of cards here, but as as far as what do I actively like, um, we've got to scrape a little bit. I don't think black looks super amazing outside of like two cards that got me really excited. One of those is Impale. Two black black, sorcery, and those three magical words, destroy, target, creature. It's just I thought dead. you were going to say draw a card. 
Draw a card is is also three magic words that I like very much. But um, this is essentially daring demolition that we saw from Kaladesh. It's it's notable that this can't blow up pirate ships, and we do have pirate ships in in the Ixalan packs. But just four mana, kill the thing. I'm mm-hmm. happy. You you mentioned that uh, while we were doing the the kind of uh, mic check that we had a five mana removal spell that gave you treasures. This is just better. It's just one less. Who cares about the treasure? I just want the thing dead. Yeah, being able to cast this a turn earlier is way better than having leftover treasures to ramp into or something like that or play two spells on a later turn. Nah, you you want to get your unconditional removal as cheap as possible. Agree. And then if if you didn't think that was good enough, you could have the same card, but it comes with a 2-2 if you like Ravenous Chupacabra. Same cost. What? Two black black, 2-2 two, two beast horror. When it enters the battlefield, destroy target creature and opponent controls. So this is an uncommon versus a common, but like here's two unconditional removal spells for four. Like I actively want to play black when I'm getting these. It's flame chew Kavu. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a bit of a stretch. A little bit. Okay. A little bit. Oh, this card's fantastic. How many times are you going to first pick this in draft? Probably as many times as I open it. And the rare slot isn't a, an absurd bomb. Every time you just can't go wrong with this card. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's not much for black here. Hey, there's like, like I'm scrolling through it and I don't just, I'm not just like saying that because like, you know, we're an hour into the podcast and, and we don't like to make this a three hour podcast, but like, there's not a ton of exciting cards here that, that aren't in the rare and and mythic slot really. Yeah. There's some good rares, but I think black strength is those two spells. I I did want to take a moment to go over sadistic sky marcher because I had some huge disagreements with a lot of, of people in chat and that I, 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 I'll just read it and then tell you what I thought and what they thought. Uh, Sadistic Sky Marcher is two and a black for a 2-2 Vampire Soldier, Flying Lifelink. As an additional cost to cast Sadistic Sky Marcher, reveal a Vampire card from your hand or pay one. Okay? So I think that this is just straight up worse early than the two and a black for a 2-2 Flyer that drained your opponent for one when you played it. Because I played that in every black deck. It enabled raid for my pirate decks. It was a fine attacker regardless of what I'm doing. And in vampires, it just got a little bit better. So like I could pick that pick two, three, four or whatever and be like, I'm going to play this. It's going to be good. Whereas this guy, I specifically have to be in vampires or I'm really not impressed with that rate. Like this at three mana, pretty darn good. This at four mana, fine, but not good. So like I think... This is better if you're in Vampire specifically and you don't play it at all if you're not. Exactly, which is the difference for me. So like I would like I had people saying, oh, I'm going to first pick this and go Vampires. And I'm like, this is not what I'm going Vampires for. This is what I'm getting fifth pick in pack two because I identified that no one else was in Vampires. And then I'll put it in my deck and it's going to be good. The people that play against you are going to make you curse it because you're going to be like, I have to deal with this 2-2 flying lifelink and use a real card on it or else I'm not going to win this game. And and I don't think the Sky March Bloodletter or whatever it was, was that style of card. But you're right. I don't think you probably never pick this card because other people will pick it before you. Yeah, so it just means I'm not going to get to play with it, but it, it will be good in Vampires. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it'll be a powerhouse in Vampires, to be honest. If you're casting this on turn turn three easily, in your vampire deck, I think uh, I think you're doing it right. Uh, and we do kind of have an elvish visionary um, in Dusk Legion Zealot. 
which is one in a black oh, yeah. for a one, one, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. Like this is our two drop vampire. This one's not nearly as aggressive. Like, I mean, I guess we had queen soldier in the other one. Um, and I, I didn't really see anything like we've got the faux runner, which, which I, I like. Um, but I, I didn't really see any like common black payoff for vampires. So like your anointed deacon, uh, we kind of, we kind of don't have one of those. Right. So no. like it, it felt like the, the payoff wasn't really here at, at least in the commons and uncommons for black. So I, I really think this, the, the power for them is in those two removal spells. Mm-hmm. Um, combat trick to keep it, keep in mind or not necessarily combat trick, but removal slash combat trick is moment of craving. Yeah. That's uh, a good one, one in a black, one in a black for an instant target creature gets minus two, minus two and you gain two life. So a little more expensive on the disfigure, but um, you know, I think minus two minus two is is a good rate in this format. Um, it should kill a lot of like it should trade for mana cost like a you know trades for a queen bay soldier whatever it is the the two two life linker and there's a lot of x twos um, but it also just lets your creatures win combat against a lot of larger things. So um, keep that in mind that that is a card in the format. We decided on stream today we're going to call it dat figure. Dat figure because mm-hmm. it's oh, not disfigure, disfigure. It's dat figure. It's that figure. Nah, your your chat is so clever sometimes. We really are. We really are. <laughs> and I I think if we're gonna have a payoff card in the common slot, the closest we can do is the voracious vampire, which is oh, yeah. two in a black for a two two menace, which is already a decent stat line. When it enters the battlefield, target vampire you control gets plus one plus one and gains menace until end of turn. So this is obviously not as good. It's significantly cheaper, but it's gonna force through usually force through a creature that you already had in play that your opponent wasn't anticipating, and then leave behind a relevant body with a, a decent creature type. So I think that's okay. Um, and you can probably stack more of these than you could anointed deacons. After playing and finding vampires remarkably open, I determined that three was exactly the number of anointed deacons that you wanted. Four, they started getting bad, and five was just stupid. Don't do that. Can't cast five of them. Nope. Yeah, this is an interesting. I think the menace makes this interesting, and the fact that it's a common, um, you know, means that this card will be in a lot of black decks that you play against, it's going to be an annoying card to play against. I think Mm -hmm. menace is always kind of dumb. You always feel dumb when you double block it and then your opponent either removes something or uses a giant combat trick on it. And you're like, Oh man, I just got got because of menace. Yeah. It, it, since it forces a double block, it, it gives you lots of opportunities to play around with removal, specifically combat tricks on that one. Um, but still at a two, two, it's kind of hard to really make something happen. So eh. yeah, yeah, we'll see. Um, okay, red. Bombard, two and a red for an instant. Bombard deals four damage to target creature. We keep getting variations of lightning strike and open fire and unfriendly fire, garbage fire, lightning bolt, bombard. <laughs> this is just fine, right? It's just good. It's it's common removal for three mana that will kill a lot of things in this format. I mean we know what this does and it will likely do that again in this format. I think it'll be fine. Yeah. I, I think it'll be a little bit better than fine. I, I don't think it's quite as good as the pacifism because it can't kill anything, but it being instant speed, gives you more opportunity, more play with the card, right? Like they attack you with a four, four, you block it with a two, three and a two, two. And they're like, gotcha combat trick. And you're like, Nope, I got you bombard. So like it, it gives you opportunities to get two for ones, whereas it's a little harder to do that with pacifism unless they're terrible like Dave and playing auras. But I think this is just really good. Have you ever seen me cast an aura? Um, no, that's what I thought. 
Yeah. Just because I advocate for, for them on the podcast doesn't mean that I actually cast them. Well, you want your opponents to cast them. So that's why you're advocating for it because it's bad. And you know what? <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, what's next for you? Brazen Freebooter is next for me. Three this is a neat card. Yeah, I think so. And it's it's an effect that we didn't have in red in the last set. And now we do, at least not on anything that I thought was playable. It's three in a red for a 3-3. Three, three. When it enters the battlefield, you get a treasure. So like hey. we're, we're used to pirates that made treasure in blue and we're kind of used to it in black. Now we've got it in red too. So it, it, in a pirate deck, this lets us kind of fix our colors and in any red deck, it lets us kind of skip our five drop and just play a six drop the next turn while being still, again, a, a hill giant with a relevant creature type. So I think this is quite nice for a common. Don't go nuts. Don't pick five of them or whatever. But like you can put one or two of these in your deck and I think be pretty happy. I agree. Uh, Buccaneers Bravado is a, another combat trick. It's a modal combat uh, combat trick this time. One in a red for a uh, target creature gets plus one, plus one and gains first strike until end of turn. Or if it's a pirate, gets plus one, plus one and gains double strike until end of turn. It's basically the same on both modes. Um, but this is not like, you know, like we've seen before where it's like you really want to be in the tribe in order to play this. Like it's it's way better if you're in the tribe. This is just a fine combat trick in, on both sides, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that if you're a pirate deck, it gives you a little bit of reach at the end of the game potentially. Um, but it's something to keep in mind is that red has another first strike combat trick like they always do. Yeah, and it, it's it's functionally similar to the ones we've seen before. It's two mana instead of one, so there you go. Mm-hmm. There you go. What else do you have? Okay. Um, obviously, the Red Foe Runner, I think, is quite good. This one fetches dinosaurs, and then when you play a dinosaur, it deals one damage to each creature that's yours and your opponent's. So it's three and a red for a one-three. Um, tutors for the dinosaur and then has those other effects. So like the, the, what you're supposed to do obviously is get an enraged dinosaur, play it, get the enraged trigger while dealing damage to your opponent's creatures at the same time. So I, I think that one is going to vary a little bit in the quality of the dinosaurs that you have. I also don't think that the trigger is, is as important as the tutor here. So like I could put this in a red deck that has three good dinosaurs because I don't need to trigger that enters the battlefield ability many times. I just need to find one of those good dinosaurs and get it into play and trigger it once. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that one quite a bit. Okay. Um, what do you, what's your take on mutiny? Uh, mutiny is a red for a sorcery target creature and opponent controls deals damage equal to its power to another target creature that player controls. So it's like kill your opponent's second best creature. Yeah, generally speaking, maybe accidentally trigger Enrage for them. So like, be aware when you're playing this that there are Enrage creatures and you need to pay attention to that. If your opponent has two creatures that have the same stat line, you can just kill both of them. So like, there's no, two... No, they don't, they don't fight. Oh, you're right. They one, don't fight. One attacks the other. Okay, okay. You're absolutely right. I got a yeah. little overexcited about that. So it is exactly kill your opponent's second best creature. Yeah, it's like, is that good enough for one red mana and a card? Heck Yeah. Yeah. Heck You're yeah. in on that? I'm in on that. It's like, again, every one mana red card gets compared to Lightning Bolt. This can kill things bigger than, li- than Lightning Bolt could kill, but it can't do it at instant speed. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I think we're always going to be interested in this style of effect. I think I'll take them and play them in my red deck. I probably want two. It's probably about as many as I want. Whereas I think in limited, okay. I'd play like four or five Lightning Bolts and be pretty happy about it. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, we don't have to explain that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think they figured that one out. Okay. 
Um, I think it's worth noting the Orazka Raptor, which is an incredibly boring vanilla card, but the stat line is relevant for the format. It's two red red for a three four dinosaur. That's it. Um, again, we're kind of in a format of hill giants. We all had the prosperous pirates just brick wall our decks, and this kind of does the same thing. It sort of sucks that we had the green version. A, a lot of these dinosaurs, they've kind of color shifted from green to red, which is kind of cute that they've done that. And it's neat that you can see it, but that made this card lose reach, which makes it not as good as the version we had previously. But honestly, like that 3-4 was still holding back just about everything on the ground, and this will still do that for you. So don't think that because Hyena Pack was basically unplayable in Amiket that this is bad. I think this is something you'll put in your red decks and be kind of happy with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what else? There was a couple of other ones here that I wanted to, uh, to mention. Sun colored Raptor is a very aggressive card. One in a red for a one, two with trample and it has expensive fire breathing two in a red and it gets plus three plus zero until end of turn. This is kind of your, you know, it's almost similar to the fathom fleet firebrand, except that it's more expensive to fire breathe, but it has trample. So it's slightly different card, but it kind of fits that same spot. Yeah, the, the the one thing you want to keep in mind about Suncolored Raptor is that you can put as many basic lands in your deck as you want. So if you only have 22 really good cards, just play 18 lands. Um, you'll be fine. You'll be able to cast the good cards. Really? This I think is this gets really played. terrible. No, I think it gets played. I, I think it gets played. I think it's like the least scary card my opponent could ever play. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I've played with a card that was similar to this in um, Innistrad. It the the costs were a little bit different. It was actually three mana to cast, and it was cheaper to pump, right? But it it, it was a similar format and a very similar stat line, and the card was just awful. the The problem with it is it's going to trade for anything that your opponent has, and they can make you spend this mana to make that trade happen. So, right, this is good on an, an absolutely empty board if this is the only creature. But if your opponent has just a grizzly bear and you attack, and they're like block you've now committed to spending your entire turn to trade with that. So you didn't really trade a two drop for a two drop. You traded a five drop for a two drop. And like, that's not a good deal. Um, If you can force it through, it's fine. And it can hold back stuff on blocks at the expense of time walking yourself. So I I think this is actively bad. Okay. I think it, like it seems very similar to the Fathom Fleet Firebrand. The Fathom Fleet Firebrand could trade with a two, two on its own. Mm-hmm. and then get pumped if it got through, right? So you could attack it in, and they're like, I I don't want to trade my 2-2 for it. And it was relatively, like, they couldn't block it with something like uh, a 1-3, right? Like your Firebrand could just attack through that. Technically, so can this, but then the payoff is, well, I dealt you one, now I'll play my three drop. Where the Firebrand was, I dealt you two, now I'll play my three drop. Okay, so interesting. I, I think this is significantly worse than that. That's fair. What do you have? What do you have next then in red? There's not many red cards left. I wanted to mention Reckless Rage. Um, this is red for an instant. Deals four damage to target creature you don't control and two damage to target creature you control. So like the the joke is you put this in your dinosaur deck, you blow up one of their guys, and then you enrage one of yours. But I, I think you're getting value for this at any time you're dealing four damage for one mana. Um, if one of your creatures doesn't die... So ideally having anything that can survive a shock in your deck is going to make this fantastic. Or if they happen to kill one of your dudes, you can still cast this in response, right? So they cast a Chupacabra targeting your best creature. It's going to die like too bad. 
you can go ahead and cast this and knock out their four toughness dude and deal two to the thing that's going to die anyway. So the instant speed leaves a lot of play for this. And four damage is a lot to a creature, especially for one mana. It is. Um, it's kind of like uh, pouncing a creature on the way out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I also thought, like, I, I just want to mention this because I think a lot of people won't notice this initially. I, I don't think it's a terribly good card, uh, but Tialani's Crown is one in a red for an enchantment aura. Enchant creature. When it enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to enchanted creature. Enchanted creature gets plus three, plus O, oh, and has trample. So I think everybody gets that you're supposed to, like, it's got a picture of a dinosaur on it. You're supposed to play this on your enraged dinosaur. But the, the main thing here is this doesn't say enchant creature you control. So if your opponent has a lot of X1s, you can play this on their X1s and just kill it. So like maybe if I've got two enraged dinosaurs and I'm playing against a vampire deck and this is kind of in my sideboard, I'm like, hey, maybe we'll actually play this thing because it's got so, it's got more flexibility than it looks like. Yeah, but how hmm, I don't know if you're going to find an X1 that you want to kill with a two mana aura. I, I honestly, I don't think that you will either, but I think having the flexibility to do that in a deck that's marginally interested in this effect anyway, th- that I think adds up to like a, a card that I might bring in out of the sideboard. Sure. Yeah. And right. like, you're going to have them. That. This is, this is going to be like the last card in the pack anyway. So like, why not find a use for it? Yeah. Okay. Um, red seems neat. I mean, actually, you know what? All the colors seem neat, but, um, it's no, I don't know. It's no white so far. I think, I think white is white and blue, I think are the standout for me here, mm-hmm. but now we have green, which is always my favorite color, but, um, green, man, there, there are some interesting green cards here. There are some very good, I think dinosaur cards here, uh, and merfolk as well, but we'll start with the, um, cherished hatchling, which is, I don't know how good this will be, but I think this is a very neat design. So it's one in a green for a two, one dinosaur. And when it dies, you can cast dinosaur spells this turn as though, hey, they had flash. And whenever you cast the dinosaur this turn, it gains when this creature enters the battlefield, you may have it fight another target creature. I really don't know how good it'll be, but I hope this is a very good card. And I hope that that you can get a lot of value out of this card. I hope that it is something you can play. I worry that it's just a two one, two mana two one that doesn't do anything most of the time. It's a two mana two one with really interesting flavor text. Um, the 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 reason that I think it's not as good as it initially reads, and you get excited about it, is your opponent is pretty much always in control of when this dies. Right? You attack with it with mana up. They're like, whatever, I'll take two. Like it's not threatening that much damage, you know. Or they've got a one three and they're just going to eat it. They're like, okay, sure, you can play one of your dinos and fight something. I don't care. Um, you can't really leave mana up to flash in a mm-hmm. dinosaur to block with it because then like, what if they don't attack, then you can't, you know, block with this and flash in your dinosaur. So like that play pattern makes that a, l- a little bit difficult to pull this off. So I think most of what it's going to be doing is trading with your opponents to drop. Yeah. And that's the problem is that unless you have a bunch of flashcards or instance in your hand, this doesn't really do anything. I'm going to be sad. It's a, it's really cute art. It's a really cool design. Like it's just dripping with flavor. I don't think it's actually good though. No, unfortunate. Next. Uh, next it's, I think this is worth mentioning. Aggressive urge is our combat trick and it sucks. It's one in a green for an instant target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, draw a card. So it's two mana win a combat cycle. I, I guess saying it sucks is a little harsh, but like, 
we don't have a super fantastic, amazing, wonderful combat trick in green. There's nothing anywhere close to the two counters on Merfolk. And I, I think this may even be worse than Crash the Ramparts because we're not really forcing through much. So like there's a green combat trick. It's it's exactly plus one plus one. If you know they attack your two two into your board of a three three and a two two, don't just block it with a three three. Go ahead and jam both of them in front of it because the, the like it's it's kind of likely they have this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Like, I mean, I miss the two two plus two plus two plus three plus three days. Yeah, me too. Like white's got the best combat trick now. One mana plus two plus two. That's just what it's got. But I think as far as cards to be excited about, Crested Horn Herd Caller gets me a little bit excited. It's three green green for a three three trample. When it enters the battlefield, you get a three three green trample dinosaur token. So it's it's kind of a six six trample for five that attacks a little worse and blocks a little better. Yeah, I, I think it's cool. I like that they both have trample. Um, if they didn't, I think this would be you know, fine. But I think the trample helps put it over the top for me. I think so too. And it, it, there, there's like one weird blink effect in blue at rare. So like you could do some things with this leaving and entering the battlefield. There's a green black enchantment that like reanimates stuff. Um, there is a raised dead in black. So like, there's a few ways to like get this traded off, have the token in play and then get it back in play and get another one. Like, I don't think you're going to do that super often, but as many drafts as I do, I'll probably see that happen. And like, it's, it's not in, it's, it's not a bad thing to have there. Yeah. Uh, forerunner of the heralds is, is neat. This is, uh, uh, the, the merfolk one, three and green for a three, two tutor upper merfolk. Um, and then whenever merfolk enters the battlefield, this gets plus one, plus one counter on it. So the, the fact that good, it is, it is, the the fact i mean so it's generally attacking well it will be attacking as a 4-3 which is cool um i think you most of the time if you want to keep this around is you're going to want to get a couple of activations off of it um but i guess if you're attacking with a 4-3 and trading for a 3-3 you're probably neutral on the mana except you got a a tutor up a merfolk out of it so um yeah i think all the forerunners are good and i think this is this is pretty good in your merfolk deck this will really reward you if you're playing a lot of merfolk um, or if you have some way to make merfolk tokens, even there's, a uh, obviously the, uh, the enchantment from the last one, which not really good in limited, but maybe it gets a little better, um, in, in dedicated merfolk decks. Um, or if you have a bunch of cheap merfolks, this obviously gets better as well. So I'm going to skip ahead cool. to tell you what you tutor up jungle born pioneer two and a green for a two, two. When it enters the battlefield, put a one, one blue green merfolk token with hex proof in the battlefield. So you tutor up this and you're not attacking with a four, three, you're attacking with a five, four, the five, four. Yeah. Yeah. Merfolk's going to be cool. There's also a blue enchantment in this set that puts two Merfolk into play. Like it's kind of fringe playable, but like there's ways for Merfolk to play more than one Merfolk in a turn. And this thing can get arbitrarily large relatively quickly while getting you your best Merfolk out of your deck. And it doesn't even have to be a good one. It could be that common one and you're pretty happy about it. Can we just rattle off some other merfolk here? You've got Jade Bearer, which one is terrible one, one. and you shouldn't play. No, but it puts a plus one, plus one counter on another merfolk you control. So if we're playing Magical Christmas Land here, you know, now your forerunner is a five, four. Yeah, Again. but Jade Bearer is a, a one mana, one, one that you don't want to play on turn one. Like how bad a card can we possibly get that people will still put in their decks? That's that's just terrible. Jadecraft Artisan. I'm just saying that there are merfolk here. Jadecraft Artisan, to, we have named it, the Priest of Corn. It really, if you want to make your forerunner better, I'm just saying. You could, you could. You Doesn't could. it look like the artisan is like praying to an ear of corn? I know, it looks like a spear. Okay, it looked like an ear of corn to me. 
Okay. Anyway, I grew up on a uh, farm. Three and a three and a green for three three merfolk. Uh, when this enters the battlefield, target creature gets plus two plus two until end of turn, which is actually it's pretty decent. It's a good rate. What was the um intrepid provisioner? Is that what it was? Was it was that plus two plus two or was that plus one plus one? It's plus two plus two, but only to humans. Only to humans. So and like that was okay. Uh, I think this is better than that. It's certainly an upgrade to it. Mm-hmm. Anything with trample, obviously, will be great with this. Yeah, or, or flying or menace or anything. Anything. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, ran out of merfolk there, though, but um, some dinosaurs here. Overgrown Armasaur, which I think is neat. Three green green for a 4-4 four, four dinosaur within rage. Uh, put a 1-1 one, one Saperlane token onto the battlefield. Mm, meh. You're meh on this? Yeah, I'm mm. pretty meh on this. You remember the 4-mana um, 4-4 four, four that could block an extra creature? Yes. This is functionally that card, but a little bit harder to cast. And most of the time in my Exelon experiences, Enrage basically said, when this creature dies, do this thing. Right. Because it was only ever dying when my opponent had a, a plan. Right. So like if I can enrage my own dude, it's kind of cute that I get a one one. But this just dying into a one one isn't really blowing my mind. It, it's fine. Like it's it's kind of filler five drop level. If it was a four five, I think I'd be over the moon about it. I just like or maybe a five four. I think I'd be like, heck, yeah, let's play it. But at five mana, four, four in green. I think we can do better. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And the more that I think about it, we barely triggered Enrage in the previous format. So, And a lot of people said there's way better ways to trigger Enrage in this set, and they're just wrong. There's not. Well, we thought we thought Dual Shot would be a way to trigger Enrage in the last format, and it wasn't. So I didn't think that. We did. <laughs> yeah. The I, general I, we. The, the general, general we. we. Okay, the general we did. Yep. Okay. Speaking of Merfolk, though, again, there's a lot of Merfolk. Uh, Swift Warden is neat. This is this is I think is uh, probably one of the better uncommons, at least for the Merfolk deck. Is the one green green for a three three flash Merfolk when it enters the battlefield? Target Merfolk you control gains hexproof until end of turn. Yeah, I, I think most of what you're doing with this is flashing it in, needing one of your opponent's creatures. Mm, or, I think you're flashing it in to eat a removal spell or to, yeah. to negate a removal spell a lot of the time. Yeah, but let's say it's turn three. You don't have another three drop, and they attack mm-hmm. you with a grizzly bear. Like, sure, then you whatever. Not then you hold it. this. No. Um, so it, uh, the fact that you can do that and negate a removal spell is a bonus. The fact that you can flash it in and need a grizzly bear is a bonus. And the fact that it's a three three for three that you can just cast at the end of their turn that they don't see coming is a bonus. All that adds up to a a a lot of flexibility on a hard to cast centaur courser. Uh, which I, I think makes it a relatively good card. I'm not over the moon about it, but I, I think that's pretty good. No, I think I think this will, this will overperform. I think anytime you get a modal spell where all the modes are are pretty good, you know, for for the for the mana cost, I think I think you're pretty happy about the card, right? Do you so, do you pick this over Thrashing Brontodon? Because I don't. Mm, that's well, read 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 Thrashing Brontodon first, and then we'll talk about it. One green green three four dinosaur. You can spend one sacrifice at destroy target artifact or enchantment. Uh, so I'll never have to make this decision because the wizards collate like the collation of the packs will never put these two cards together. But um, no, I think thrashing Brontodon is better for a couple of reasons. One, there's a lot of artifacts and enchantments that I will want to remove for one green green at some point. Uh, two, it's got four toughness, which blocks like a million things in this format. Yeah. And three, it's not tribal. So it doesn't it doesn't lock me into dinosaurs or merfolk, for example. 
Yeah, because uh, dinosaurs isn't really a tribe. They're just good creatures. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But no, like, I mean, they're, they're two different cards. If you open these in pack two and you're already merfolk, I think you take the Swift Warden much of the time. You're probably you know right. I mean? You're probably but like, I think right. if it's, if it's pick one, pack one, I think of the Brontodon is just a more flexible card. Uh, it'll go in more decks, I think. Yeah. You're probably right about that. Okay. Um, how do you like your rampant growth though? I'm kind of off it. You're, you're off it. If it's three mana, what if it's two mana? If it's two mana, I'm excited about it, but like, uh, thunder herd migration is one in a green for a sorcery Search your library for a basic land, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle your library. You either have to reveal a dinosaur or pay an extra mana when you cast it. So mm-hmm. like getting from three to five, not as important to me as getting from um, three to four, right? Two, two like, to four. Yeah, from two to four, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Like it, it does do some interesting things in that it fixes you, but like you're going to be pretty sad if you have to cast this and pay the extra mana and having it at uncommon as opposed to common, like it's impossible for me to look at this and not compare it to rampant growth. And I, I might just be wrong judging it that way. But like, I, I don't know that I have time to do this. I think you I, I think this is a payoff for dinosaurs. Because dinosaurs want to be casting big mana things and be potentially Naya colors, right? So they want to be splashing white or splashing red or something like that, for example. Um, and, you know, for for three mana you're probably not as interested, but I think for two mana, I think you're very interested. So I don't know what the critical mass is. The dinosaurs player. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't know what the critical mass of dinosaurs that you'll need to make this reliably castable on turn two. Um, Frank Karsten will do the math for us and put it in an article. I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. And I look forward to reading that, but like, you know, I don't know if that's, if like half of your creatures are dinosaurs, but whatever, this is, this is a, this is a quote unquote payoff not really a payoff, but this is, this is a reason. Sorry. If you're dinosaurs, this goes very easily into your deck. Um, and, and so it's kind of like a, you know, pack two, pick three, nothing else in the pack. Oh, Hey, I happen to be dinosaurs. I'm going to snap this up and I'm probably going to be happy about it. Yeah. Okay. I can give you that. Okay. Um, greens, greens neat. Um, there's, uh, I mean, we had a hunt the week for removal, but there really wasn't that much else. Yeah, I think Hunt the Week's worth mentioning. We've seen this card enough that we probably don't need to read it or go over it, but it's it's kind of a replacement for Pounce at the common mm-hmm. slot. And I think it's a little bit better because that counter means that a Merfolk deck could probably play this. Like you can get three threes in Merfolk, and that means they can eat another Hill Giant, whereas Pounce was often a little bit difficult to get into a Merfolk deck because your dudes weren't quite big enough early to, for it to actually do anything. So I, I'm happy to see Hunt the Week return. Yeah. All right. That's it for the monocolors. Uh, quick spin through the the multicolor, the gold cards. Yeah, we can at least look at the uncommon ones if you like. Sure. Uh, Adsco, Adsco, I'm going to struggle saying this. Adsocan. Adsocan Seer. I can say it. Um, is a uh, one green white for a two, three human druid cosplayer. Uh, tap one. And the reason I say cosplayer is because he's dressed like a dinosaur. Uh, it's a mana dork, uh, tap for any color and you can sacrifice it, return target dinosaur from your graveyard to your hand. I kind of dig this guy in a dinosaur stack, right? It's, so it's neat like, if it's dinosaurs. Yeah. 
Yeah, I can play it on turn three, ramp myself out, eventually trade it off, or maybe chump block with it. And then if I happen to draw it late game after I've already got plenty of lands, well, it's just three mana get back the best dinosaur from my graveyard. So, And he sort of enables a splash too, right? Like this in Evolving Wilds and a basic is your red splash in your white-green dino stack. So I, I kind of like this guy. I don't think it's super powerful. I don't think I, I necessarily windmill slam it, pack one, pick one. But I think this guy has a place. No, it's good pickup if you're white-green dinos. Easily, yeah. I think, right? Mm-hmm. You're pretty happy to play it, so. Agree. Okay. Um, Do you want to read Deadeye Brawler? Yeah, I like this one significantly better. This is two mm-hmm. blue-black for a 2-4 death touch. If you've ascended, when it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. So, like, we'd already be pretty happy with four mana, two, four death touch. It blocks unreasonably well. And then the joke is, once you've ascended, they either get two for one or let you start drawing cards, right? Mm-hmm. Because it, presumably this will trade with anything that they have. It has death touch. Or if they want to, like, you know, block it with a, a three, three and a two, two, you're going to kill both of them because of how death touch works. Uh, so I, I think this is actually quite good, and I like this one. I'm nervous about picking it super early because I don't know that like I want to go blue black because I have this. But if I've you know picked good black card, good black card, and get past this, we're probably blue black now. I thought this had flying, and I was much more excited for it than I, than I am now. <laughs> I was like yeah. over the moon because I thought it had flying. I'm like, it's got four toughness. It'll it like nothing can block it in flying. Like nothing can attack through it that flies. Oh wait, it's on the ground. So I mean whatever either you're trading for a four four that costs five mana or you're trading for two two twos that cost four total mana like you know whatever we'll yeah. figure it out but it blocks yeah. really well yeah i like it okay uh dire fleet neckbreaker is neat so uh there's a few lords at uncommon in the in the gold slots here and this is the the pirate lord i guess for lack of a better term two black red for uh three two pirate orc pirate attacking pirates you control get plus two plus zero so not your typical lord the other ones in this set are plus one plus one to everything um this one's only on attacking but it's like a permanent trumpet blast yeah and like what does red black pirates want to be doing it's certainly not holding back and blocking so i I think this is good its own stat lines are kind of bad but the idea would like you don't want to pay four mana for a three two even though it attacks as a five two it's still going to trade for everything but the idea is you can play this attack with all your other pirates and they're getting bigger. So at Mm -hmm. a certain point, your two twos and three threes kind of get outclassed by the dinosaurs. And this helps you catch up a little bit. I I think it's kind of in for me in the same space as the brawler and that I've picked good red card, good red card, get packed this past this. Okay, let's do it rather than I open it and I slam it and say, let's go for it. Yeah, I agree. I like that. You don't have to attack this to get the the plus two plus zero. Yeah. Agree. Agree. You can kind of hold this back and treat it as an enchantment if you want to. Exactly. Um, jungle creeper is kind of neat. One black, uh, green for a three, three elemental. So it doesn't fit into a tribe unless you count black, green value as a tribe. It's um, a tribe for me. It's just a three, three, except when it dies, uh, when it's in your graveyard, you can pay three black and a green to return it from your graveyard to your hand. So it's pretty expensive to recur. Um, but I mean, it, it's a three mana, three, three, you could do it a lot worse for a three mana, three, three, if you're in these colors already. Yeah, and like it's a mana sink. Like there's mm-hmm. not a whole lot of those around. So that's already something that I'm interested in. We've mentioned that, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this, it's kind of a format of Hill Giants. So here's a Hill Giant that you can buy back later. Looks looks good to me. Yeah, it's cool. It's just really expensive to recur. That's all. I mean, like eight mana to go all the way around. Um, but I guess if you're, you know, if this is your only chump blocker, I've seen games where, you know, you've looped a, what was that silly 
skeleton from formats past where you could loop it for like five mana or something. Tenacious D. Yeah. No, not Tenacious Dead. The um the skeleton that blocked. Oh, the reassembling skeleton? Maybe. I don't remember what it was. Anyway, it was really expensive, but like sometimes you get in these weird board states where it's like you just had to do that for a few turns until you found a removal spell or something. Yeah. Um, but the fact that this is a three three, I think, is really cool because, you know, if you can play it on turn three and just eat something or attack for three points of damage and then eat something and then maybe get it back later if the game goes long, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's good. I like my cards to have options. Uh, then we've got the the black, white, and the green, blue lords. Um, so one for the vampires, one for the merfolk. They're just two twos that uh, give your vampires or merfolk plus one plus one. Yep, it's only yours and it's not themselves. Yeah. So like you you sort of don't count these as two drops when you're looking at them in your curve because they're a little bit difficult to cast on turn two being both colors. Um, and also you don't really want to involve these guys and or gals in combat if you can avoid it. Right. So the idea is I play out all my other merfolk. Then I play this. They're all bigger than my opponent expected and I can attack and that bonus sticks around. Do be careful. Like if your opponent kills these while you're in combat, all of a sudden your combat situation can look a little worse than you were expecting. Uh, mm-hmm. But these these are quite good to go in those tribes. Those restrictions, again, put me in. I'm rarely going to first pick these and I suspect other people will. So I, I doubt I'll get to play with them as much as I'd like to. Um, but these are going to be good in their respective decks. Yeah, exactly. Any other gold cards you're you're excited over? I see one for sure, but I want to see if there's anything else that you want to mention before we go. Uh, the Raging Regisaur uh, is what I'm excited about for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's two green red for a 4-4 four, four. sold, like full stop, we're good. When it attacks, it deals one damage to target creature or player. So empty board, this attacks is a 5-4. Your opponent's got some X1s, cool, let's eat them. Your opponent's got a 3-3 and a 2-2. Cool, let's deal the damage to the 3-3. You can two for one yourself if you want to. Do you happen to have an enraged dinosaur? Because you can certainly ping your own dude if you'd like to. Oh, I missed that. Like all of that flexibility in one card that's already a good stat line. I'm I'm raging. Let's get raging. I like like pinging your own enraged creatures because we didn't get to enrage enough in the last format. Yeah, and this gives us like a reliable, repeatable way to do that in, in green and red. Hmm. Pair it up with the white one that puts a plus one, plus one counter on everything. Now you're doing it. Oh, man. I can't wait. Dinosaurs is a total, totally a tribe. No, this is a good card. The one that I was looking at that I skipped ahead to is the Resplendent Griffin. Here's your blue, white skies payoff card. It's a parrot Uh, griffin. (laughs) One white blue for a 2-2 griffin that flies with ascend. And uh, when it attacks, if you have the city's blessing, if you're hashtag blessed, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Yeah, that looks great. So it's it's a wind drake if you're in these colors and it gets better late game. Sounds good to me. It gets it can get out of control mid to late game. It if can. you can get if you can get through the first attack and make it a three three, there's not much that can stop it after that. Yeah, they're not gonna block it. They'll have to have specifically a removal spell for it. Yeah. Um yeah, I think that's it for me. Honorable mention to the Protean Raider that comes in as a clone if with raid, but like I mean whatever yeah um and then just scanning through i I don't think there's any artifacts we really want to go over it common or uncommon other than to mention that we have traveler's amulet in the format we have evolving wilds in the format and we have enemy color tap lands at uncommon so fixing is far more abundant than we were used to in addition to all the pirates that come into play and make treasures so i'm anticipating in sealed such as for your pre-release you may actually be able to just play all your bombs um 
don't like I've made five color decks and Ixalan sealed before, usually blue green base and been happy about it. I, I think with evolving wilds, we might actually be able to pull that off pretty consistently. Uh, so just be on the lookout out for that when you're opening your sealed pools. I'm not telling you to go nuts and play like all your double black cards, all your double red cards, all your double white cards, like still be reasonable when you're building your mana base, but you've got a lot more flexibility with that mana base than, than we did in just single Ixalan. Yeah. I think the, uh, the fact that the lands are at, at uncommon means that you won't see a ton of them in your sealed pools, but uh, evolving wilds is, is pretty good at, at common. That's a pretty good pickup and travelers amulet. If I am not mistaken is also a common. So your fixing should be quite nice in your average sealed pool, which is pretty good. Yeah, for for me, I pick Evolving Wilds and on-color dual lands above replacement level commons. And then Traveler's Amulet, I only pick up specifically if I'm splashing. Because that's kind of like an Evolving Wilds that costs a mana to play. And I usually play the first one over land. But like, there's not a spells deck that cares about you triggering spells. There's nothing that really cares about having artifacts in your graveyard or, you know, playing an artifact. So it's just here for fixing. So I think it's significantly worse than the other two. But like if I'm black, white, if I can pick up the Forsaken Sanctuary over a replacement level card, I'm going to do that every time. And same with Evolving Wilds. Uh, there's several schools of thought on Evolving Wilds. I play them in two color decks and I'm usually pretty happy about it because like there's nothing worse than not being able to cast your spells. I've drafted a good deck. If I can cast my spells, I'm going to be happy about it. Yeah, well, it it turns your 9-8 land base into like a 10- nine nine. It, well, in nine nine or like a ten eight mana base, or not like a ten nine, like it, a it ten just nine, you... like like it's it's one of each color, right? Yeah, it's great. And it, it makes your double casting cost spells a little more reliable. You know, it makes your 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 short color, your seven or your your eight, a little more reliable. It's just it's just good value. Yeah, so I'm on the play evolving wilds in two colors. I won't hate you if you say you're not, but it's still having having it here at common, knowing that it's there with these uncommon. Uh, tap lands and with the traveler's amulet and with all the treasure just means we can kind of do some crazier things here than, than we did last format. And we were already getting, I was getting pretty crazy in Ixalan sealed anyway. Yeah. Well, you were looking for reasons to be entertained at that point. Are you not entertained? I'm not. All right. It looks fun. Yeah. I'm excited I, to I, play this. I mean, I always say that with a new set, I'm always excited to play a new set, but I think this, this, takes what I think I thought Ixalan would be when it comes to tribal formats, um, especially with the Lords and, yeah. and kind of the, the additional kind of mini payoff cards that we see in the tribals. Um, and, and as well as kind of like reasons to go into tribal that aren't necessarily payoffs, you know, like we saw the rampant growth potentially for dinosaurs and the forerunners and things like that. Um, I think it just gives you a reason to plant your 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 flag on a certain tribe and then stick to that and maybe the tribes will be a little bit more open in this format because of it there seems to be fewer kind of just good green cards or good black cards for example um and more tribal cards instead so i look forward to seeing what the format turns out to be yeah completely agree i'm very excited for this okay uh, well, let's get to wrap it up for the podcast. So thanks again to Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com for the hosts. Travis, my co-host, where can they find you next week so they can watch the, uh, what are they calling it? The Ixalan Magic Online preview? Something preview, pre-release, something like that. Okay. Uh, it's at twitch.tv slash Simulan. And again, that'll be happening on the 11th and 12th of this month. So next week, uh, stop by and say hi. I'll be streaming it even when that host isn't going on. 
Um, but that's when we'll probably have the largest viewership. So come on by, check out the stream. Yes, it'll be fun. And remember that you can check that out on Thursday, Friday yourself on Magic Online. 30 tickets to get in and the prize structure is fairly decent. Get your experience, get a leg up on your uh, pre-release when you go on the weekend. And happy pre-releasing if I don't talk to you before then. Not you, Travis, but the general you, because I know you don't go. Yep. I play Magic Online. That's why it's Min for Moto. Absolutely. All right. Thanks again, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.